Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Delicious Legacy Podcast. With me, Thomas Dinas. And this is episode number 30 of season 2. Although it seems like uh, season 1 had uh, more than 30 episodes, something like 32 or something, um, just because uh, this is my favorite number, this is going to be the last episode of season 2. And um, what better subject to close our season with uh, a festive celebration, an episode all about a midwinter festival and how it was celebrated in the ancient Roman world. Now, I know you love me, and of course I love you too. So please, 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 if you want to give me the perfect Christmas gift, do subscribe on my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the delicious legacy and you get early access to the episodes all ad free exclusive videos and unique recipes from the ancient world all at your fingertips what are you waiting for go and subscribe you can find all of the past video recipes on youtube where you can subscribe as well and get the episodes of the podcast too at thomas dinas or at the delicious legacy now I must admit, the first time I've heard the word Saturnalia was uh, about 2008. It was the title of the album of the Gutter Twins, um, Mark Lanigan and Greg Dooley, their album. And yeah, I've guessed that it sounded a really interesting word and it had to do something with um, the god Satan. But I wasn't very sure if it, if it was an actual thing. But um, many years later, uh, I did um, December... Feast with uh, my good friends Stathis uh, Yuriadis and Christina Christodoulou. And we did, um, we did an ancient Roman feast based on the Saturnalia festival and celebration in the midwinter. We held a feast for 20 people in a place in uh, East London. And yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a lot more familiar with the concept of Saturnalia now. And of course with the foods that the ancient Romans ate at that period. And so I thought I'll give you a little bit of uh, my recipes from uh, that period and some more background information and details of this uh, wonderful pre-Christian midwinter festival. (laughs) 
long before Christmas existed and was celebrated, there was another midwinter festival. Saturnalia. Gaius Valerius Catulus described it as the best of times. An extravaganza of food and drink, an inversion of social roles, an expression of one's self through singing and gambling and so on. The long history says that it was originating as a farmer's festival dedicated to Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture and the harvest. And it started as one day celebration, usually December 17th, but evolved and got longer and longer. The Roman dramatist Seneca complained, December used to be a month, now it's a whole year. While we have our Christmas festivals and feasts celebrating the birth of Christ in December, in ancient Rome they had a similar festival that was happening this time of the year, and this was Saturnalia. However, as far as I know, the ancient Greek equivalent uh, to Saturnalia, which was the celebration of god Satan, was a celebration of god Cronus in ancient Greece, and that was the festival of Cronia. But that wasn't in winter. I'm sure some of you must have heard of this festival before. And Cronia was a summer festival celebrating uh, the god Cronus. And according to Accius, most of the Greeks, Athens especially, performed rites which they called Cronia. When they celebrate this day, they feast joyfully in country and in city alike, and attend upon their slaves. A custom which, as you will see later on, that might uh, compare to Roman Saturnalia. Food and drink was followed with all sorts of revelries. The revelries of Saturnalia were supposed to reflect the conditions of the lost mythical age. Perhaps not all of them desirable, of course, but nevertheless there, existing and remembered. Saturn was the father of god Jupiter. The golden age was supposed to be in the age of Satan. Saturnalia was supposed to kind of bring back that age. And Saturnalia saw the inversion of social roles. The wealthy were expected to pay the month's rent for those who couldn't afford it. Masters and slaves expected to swap clothes. People would go around the streets and there was merrymaking and singing songs which some people associate with our modern carols. Although this, as much else from antiquity, is uh, open to debate, of course. The Saturnalia festivities were a normal occasion for this uh, gift-giving. The idea was perhaps originally Greek. It would have reached Rome by way of Hellenistic banquets, inherited in turn from earlier Macedonian and Thracian customs. Martial wrote a whole book of verse couplets, suitable for accompanying Apophorida, presented at the Saturnalia, and another for similar gifts, Xenia, made on other occasions. The fruit date was a popular delicacy in ancient Rome, and distributed, for example, at uh, the Domitian's Saturnalia feast, as described by Statius. Saturnalia provided an opportunity for Romans to indulge themselves in excessive eating, drinking, and gambling, which were all traditionally seen as vices. Public events and feasts were widespread, with banquets held in the Temple of Saturn in the Roman Forum. 
accounts describe how people will dress smartly and bring with them bread baskets, white napkins, wine, and other elegant edibles. Musical entertainment was provided by foreign slaves, as Statius writes. In one group, Lydian ladies clap. Elsewhere are cymbals and jingling cadies. Elsewhere again, troop of Syrians make din. Later, as we moved from the Roman Republic to the Empire, the 25th of December had a great significance as the Dies Natalis Solis Invicti, or the birthday of the unconquered sun, celebrating the cult of the sun god Sol, a festival which was later associated with the birth of Christ. The first evidence for the date of 25th of December, according to Professor Kevin Butcher of the University of Warwick's Department of Classics and Ancient History, is in a Roman calendar of uh, 354 AD, where it is noted that this is also the day of the birthday of the unconquered sun. This date in late antiquity comes only around a century before the fall of the Western Roman Empire, in the late 5th century. So how this day came to be considered for the Christians the day of nativity is unknown. But Professor Butcher says it is possible that the Emperor Constantine had some influence, since before his conversion to Christianity he was a keen devotee of the unconquered sun, a god who is commonly depicted in his coins. And we've touched on that subject a little bit in our Easter special episode. One poem of Statius recounts the spectacle of a Saturnalian feast in the Colosseum under the Emperor Domitian, an emperor who reigned from 81 to 96 AD. This December was wine-soaked and the tipsy feast was accompanied by amusing pranks. Among the theatrics on offer were virtuoso combats between women and dwarfs, during which both sides would deal wounds and mingle fists and threaten one another with death. During the imperial period, there are references to a king of Saturnalia, whose ridiculous demands had to be obeyed by other guests. Lucian, who was born around the year 125 AD, was a satirist and gives the examples of singing uh, stark naked and being pushed headfirst into cold water with a face full of soot. Perhaps a long lost echo of uh, today's Christmas pantomimes. So the illustrated Christian manuscript of uh, 354 AD called the Calendar of Philocalus offers a personification of December which uh, illustrates several aspects of uh, Saturnalia. The torch represents the nocturnal celebrations. The dice alludes to gambling and games. The birds are an example of a gift and the mask symbolizes festive entertainment. Interestingly, Statius chooses to end his account pondering the legacy of Saturnalia, eventually concluding that the sacred holiday will endure throughout all time. Considering that many Roman traditions have survived and are part of our modern uh, um, Christmas celebrations, he was perhaps correct. But all these are just um, superficial connections between Christmas and Saturnalia, of course. We're not talking here or debating that uh, Saturnalia is the direct predecessor of Christmas. It just happened to be two midwinter festivals. 
Professor Butcher states that there is no explicit connection between Christmas and Saturnalia festivals, despite some similarities, and he says it's not even clear whether the earliest Christians celebrated an anniversary of Christ's nativity. Basically, in a sense, we don't have any records from the first Christians uh, that they did anything around that time. Now, another thing that you were not allowed to do during uh, this period in December, uh, you're not allowed also to give lectures at the time, unless they were witty or funny. And again, we can see that that's origins of uh, cracker jokes. On the 19th of September, there was a day of gift giving. This was called the Sigillaria, because gifts of value would mark social status, and that would be contrary to the spirit of the season. These were often pottery or wax figurines called Sigillaria, made especially for the day, and it was candles or gag gifts of which Augustus was particularly fond. Children received toys as gifts. And generally, Saturnalia reflects the contradictory nature of the deity Saturn himself. There are joyful and utopian aspects of careless well-being, side by side with disquieting elements of threat and danger. As a deity of agricultural bounty, Saturn embodied prosperity and wealth in general. Now, ancient civilizations, they had their New Year festivals and their mid-winter festivals, and a lot of the time those two coincided. So, for example, in um, ancient Mesopotamia, there was a festival of Zagmuk, uh, which literally means beginning of the year, and celebrates the new year, basically. This feast fell in December and lasted for about 12 days, and it celebrated the triumph of Marduk, the patron deity of Babylon, over the forces of chaos. So the battle between chaos and Marduk lasts 12 days, according to the myths, to the mythology of the Mesopotamians, and so does the festival of uh, Zagmuk. In Uruk, the festival was associated with the god An, the Sumerian god of the night sky. Both are essentially equivalent in all respects to the Akkadian Akitu festival, and in some variations, Marduk is slain by Tiamat, the god of chaos, on the winter solstice and resurrected on the vernal equinox. In ancient Egypt, the festival of Wepet, Renpet, is the festival of New Year. That's the festival of the opening of the year. It was celebrated throughout Egypt, and basically the festival moved annually as it depended on the flooding of the Nile River. So the festival was firmly established before the end of the Old Kingdom, and basically the flooding of the Nile River usually happened in our summertime months, so it wasn't, it wasn't actually a midwinter festival. So this New Year Day celebration in ancient Egypt celebrated the, re- the rebirth of God Osiris. But it wasn't, it wasn't a midwinter festival. A festival that actually happened in our December-January, it was the Festival of the Jed, and that was held throughout Egypt uh, in the local temples. And um, basically, it was held yearly from the end of the Old Kingdom in the period between the sowing of the fields and the harvest Uh, and when the harvest would begin. Usually that was from the 13th to the 30th day of the month Koyak, which was falling between our months December and January sometime. So this is kind of the equivalent of midwinter festival for for ancient Egyptian uh, people. On the 25th um, day of Koyak, 
there was a poem being performed, Lamentations of Isis and Nephthys, and which was describing the sets for Osiris. In Abydos is the main temple to host the festival and is a cult center of Osiris. But reenactments were happening all across Egypt. And then there were offerings of foods and drinks and there was dancing of singing men and women. And I'll be back with recipes from Saturnalia after this short break. Hello, hello, this is Dr. Ran. And this is Dr. G. And together we're the co-hosts of The Partial Historians. We love ancient Rome and all the quirks that humanity has to offer. Our podcast combines analysis, discussion about sources and a good dash of irreverence. As lovers of the delicious legacy, we know you have an appetite for the delights of the ancient world. Join us for our narrative episodes as we explore the history of Rome from the founding of the city. Or perhaps you'd like to drop by for our special episodes on topics such as historical films, ancient personalities, academic guests, and our never-ending fight about who was the better emperor, Augustus or Tiberius. It's Tiberius. It's definitely Augustus. You can find The Partial Historians wherever you listen to quality podcasts, such as The Delicious Legacy. We're out and about on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And now, back to your regular program. Today's episode is brought to you with the welcome support of Malbin Greek, UK's leading Greek delicatessen, supplier, and distributor of premium Greek produce. If you're longing for Greek Christmas, why don't you get your celebratory Kura Biedes and Melomacarona from Malbi and Greek? Malbi and Greek has uh, delicious Christmas hampers with Kura Bies, with Melomacarona, Greek olive oils and alcohol and chocolates and other sweets to make your Christmas as Greek as possible. Whatever you need, Malbi and Greek has you covered. You can shop online and have the divine and delicious goods delivered to your doorstep across the UK, or you can visit the shop at Art17 Apollo Business Park, Lucy Way, SC16, 4ET, Bermondsey, London, Malby and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. And for you dear listeners, there's a fantastic discount of 15% if you use online the discount code DELICIOUS. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And inspired by Saturnalia, I have a feast for our communal and festive table. So I want to describe to you a bunch of dishes from the length and depth of the Roman Empire and across the centuries. And all these dishes are kind of big and bold celebratory dishes. And I want to make a feast that will reflect this triumphant character of uh, mid-winter festivals. So on our festive dinner, we'll have, first of all, Conditum Paradoxum, or as we call it, a spiced wine. We'll have a smoked cheese with Panis Quadratus, the famous uh, bread from Pompeii, and uh, some fig chutney. We'll make an, an olive relish in the style of Philoxenus. And I've got this recipe on my YouTube channel. We'll have Roman deviled eggs. We'll have Roman uh, beef uh, meatballs or burgers. Baked ham in pastry with figs from the book of Apicius. Deep fried honey fritters and peaches in cumin sauce. For the beef uh, burgers, or beef fagots would be another good description of them, we can say that these were the closest thing to a burger in Roman recipes. The meat of choice, normally beef, could be lamb as well, is pounded in a mortar with a pestle until a smooth paste is formed. This takes considerable time and effort, and it has to be admitted that the work is done in a fraction of time in a food processor in our modern kitchen. Once these fagots have been made, they can be oven-baked, grilled, or even barbecued, just as we would do uh, with our bakers today, and just as the original recipe suggests. The flavor of uh, the spices that we have, which is we will see in a, in a second, is very interesting and quite flowery and unexpected. Now, we call them fagots because this uh, beef mince is wrapped in coal fat and coal fat is the membrane that holds the intestines together in the intestinal cavity in all animals though pig's coal is generally the one that is most readily available from the butchers and you can get it if you order it in advance so it will be very easy for you to find coal fat and make your beef fagots I mean it's quite popular anyway fagots as a food nowadays it's a, traditional, it's a traditional food anyway. So for the recipe you will need 
250 grams of um, beef mince, 50 grams of uh, fresh breadcrumbs, 1 tablespoon of uh, fish sauce, 2 tablespoons white wine, 25 grams of pine nuts, 5 myrtle berries, which these are the berries that give this fragrant flowery aroma in your food. But if you can't find those, get 3 juniper berries, 2 large teaspoons whole black peppercorns, cracked in a mortar, and about 50 grams of cold fat. So place the meat, breadcrumbs, wine and fish sauce in a food processor. Process until the whole mixture has formed into a smooth paste and the mince has lost its structure. Add the pine kernels and peppercorns and pulse briefly to combine them evenly. Transfer now to a bowl. Open up each individual piece of cold fat to its full extent. Take a lump of the mixture and form it into a small ball about the size of an egg. Lay it on the edge of the sheet of fat and cut a circle around it twice as big as the ball. Take up the ball with its fat and pull a stretch of the fat to cover the ball. Place it down on the bench and flatten it out. Ensure the minimum amount of fat is used for each ball and do not fold over the excess, but cut it off. Grill or roast in a hot oven or barbecue until well done brown and crisp. Now off to our baked ham in pastry with figs from the Apicius book of recipes. That's a very simple dish as well, but very fancy in terms of, um, I think, it's very Christmassy because it uses baked ham or gammon and um, pastry and figs and all things that reminds us a little bit of Christmas. Um, so yeah, there's no fish sauce or her long list of spices. Um, so basically, yeah, we have the gammon or the smoked ham, which is boiled with figs and bay leaves, and then it's smothered in honey, and then wrapped in a simple uh, pastry and baked. So this way, the meat finishes cooking in its case while retaining its juices, and also caramelizes with the honey. It's a very wonderful um, <laughs> sensation. The pastry is not thick and stodgy, but it's similar to a strudel dough. If you rub the meat a second time and oil between the layers, you can get a crisp and crunchy texture that works like a treat. So basically get yourself one kilo at least of a piece of gammon, pre-soaked if necessary, five dried figs, three bay leaves, 250 grams of plain white flour, a quarter of teaspoon salt, two tablespoons of olive oil, 100 milliliters of water, 100 grams of honey and olive oil for brushing maybe fish sauce or salt and honey for seasoning. So you would you go about as you would go for any other gammon, um, any other um, you know salted cured meat, cover the gammon in cold water, add the figs and bay leaves and bring to boil. Simmer for 20 minutes for every 500 grams of meat plus an extra 20 minutes. So for one kilo of uh, gammon, you will do that 40 minutes plus 20 minutes, so an hour. Remove from the heat and cool in the water. While it's cooling, sieve the flour and salt together into a bowl and add the oil and the water gradually to form a dough. Knead until smooth and pliable. So this dough it's, should be enough to cover a 2 kilo piece of joint, but yeah, make it adjust it a little bit according to your needs. Cut the dough in half and roll one portion out into a large thin sheet. The pastry sheet should resemble that used for an apple strudel rather than filo, and the thicker edges of the sheet should be trimmed before you begin to wrap uh, the meat. 
Place the meat on board and remove the skin. Score the fat with a knife right through the flesh to create a crisscross pattern. Spread the honey over the fat and into the cuts. Spread it over any surfaces of the lean meat too. Brush your first pastry sheet with olive oil and lay the meat at one end. Roll the meat up in the dough, fold over the edges to make a parcel and brush its exterior with more oil. Trim away any excess pastry. Roll the other half of the dough into a sheet and brush the upper surface with olive oil. Wrap the meat again, this time tucking the minimum amount of excess dough under the joint. Brush the exterior with more oil. Bake in a medium oven, 190 degrees Celsius or gas number 5, for 1 hour until the pastry is crisp and light brown. Remove and allow to stand for 10 minutes. Strain 250 ml of the cooking liquor into a small pan and season with a little fish sauce or salt, if desired, and a little honey. Taste and adjust the balance of flavors. Carve thick slices of the meat and spoon a little of the liquor over them. Serve it forth. Enjoy. Of course, nuts and cheese and um, olives and all these appetizers that were really popular part of an ancient Roman and Greek feast. So, inspired by this opsos, all the tasty morsels of food that Greeks and ancient Romans ate, you know, on these feasts, I created a little um, alternative uh, with cheese and nuts and olives, which can be eaten, of course, as a starter in our feasts, and it's part of that kind of celebratory spirit for our Christmas as well, but also for the ancient Saturnalia spirit too. So it's kind of a cheese roll with... Uh, it's a cheese roll, basically. So I'm, I'm making um, like a mix of um, crumbled feta and um, some softer type of cheeses, like mizithra. So I crumble them together. I grate some um, pecorino cheese or kefalograviera. I mix that all together. And I mix some spring onions, some olives, some black olives finely chopped. Obviously, spring onions chopped too and some char-grilled artichokes, again, chopped. So I mix all that stuff and make a, a nice pliable patty, in a sense, and I make it as a log. As a log. I create a log, a long, longish log, and um, I put it in the fridge to solidify a little bit. And um, in the meantime, I get some almonds, which are smoked, or you can buy smoked almonds, and I crush them in a pestle mortar, not into a fine powder, but in a more chunky and crunchy mix. Okay, so on my cheese mix, cheese and spring onion and olive mix, I add a little bit of uh, white wine vinegar as well. And then once this is hardened from the fridge temperature cheese log, I roll it on the crunchy smoked almond uh, crust and I cover it all along. And then, yeah, you keep it in the fridge overnight and then you can serve it sliced in nice um, chunks, in nice chunky slices the next day with some uh, warm bread or with some nice cheese crackers. And of course, with um, a nice fig relish or onion relish or onion chutney. And this is another bonus recipe for you guys. Okay, to finish off with my ancient Roman recipes my festive ancient Roman recipes for you guys, I'm going to conclude with one of the sweet elements of our banquet, 
and this is going to be peaches and cumin sauce again from a Pisces uh, book. And yeah, for this we need about 500 grams of uh, firm, a little bit underripe peaches, 300 milliliters of sweet white wine, 50 milliliters of passion wine, two tablespoons of the frutum, which I've got the recipe on how to make it on my uh, YouTube uh, videos, two tablespoons of honey, half a teaspoon of cumin seeds, a little bit of corn flour to thicken, and of course, as an ancient Roman, the ubiquitous fish sauce. Get one tablespoon of it. So, cut the peaches in half, remove the stone, and then cut them in half again. Put the wine, so the sweet wine, wine, syrups, honey, the frutum, passum, in a saucepan and bring to a simmer. Poach the peaches in this liquor until they're just cooked and still holding their shape. Remove them with a slotted spoon and leave to one side in a bowl. Roast and grind the cumin and add to the pan. Simmer the cooking liquor and reduce by about one third. Thicken this with a very small amount of corn flour, maybe like one teaspoon, so that you have a slightly viscous liquid. Flavor with a fish sauce, half a tablespoon at a time, until the sweetness recedes a little. Now, while boiling, pour over the peaches, then leave to cool. You can serve them now with another dessert of your liking. I don't know, you can have uh, like some sort of a pudding or a fritters, again, like uh, lukumadas, they used to be ancient fritters with honey and sesame seeds. Or, I don't know, if you want to go modern, go with a, a vanilla ice cream, for example. And enjoy. This concludes our ancient Saturnalia festive recipes. And somewhere here, it's uh, about time to say Io Saturnalia, as would uh, the ancient Romans say. And um, finish our uh, ancient Roman feast. Wishing you a lovely, merry, festive season. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and tell your friends and family to get a bit of the delicious legacy in their lives. If you have a moment, please do drop me a like and a review wherever you get your podcast from, as it helps enormously to signpost new listeners to the podcast. If you want to drop me a line and get in touch with questions or ideas about future episodes or guests for the podcast, Please, please, please get in touch on Twitter or Instagram or on Patreon. The music theme is written by Pavlos Kapralos and the Yam videos edited by Barry Hoffman. Anyway, I've better let you go. I've been Tom Dinas and we've just parted like an ancient Roman citizen with our Saturnalia episode. See you next time for more archaeogastronomical adventures.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.